0: Lord we bless your beautiful. Amen. That you I believe. Sorry.
1: Thank you, bro. Hallelujah D Baris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my thing, guys. Like our community is already saying it. It's Hallelujah D-baris. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start a thing in church. You already so we kind of did a whole circle, train circle in worship. I don't know the guys that hasn't been to a punkster church before. If you go to a punkster church, that's the type of thing that happens, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited, guys. Excited to share God's word. It's always a, a privilege, uh, but also a tremendous responsibility. And, and uh, as Pierre said, like, yeah, I've been really seeking God's will for, for this word, um, that he would really break something open over us as a church and, and really spur us on into intimacy. So... I want to jump into it. peer prayed, so I don't need to pray. <laughs> Tony's actually asked me to do something. So I'm going to quickly pull a Tony, take a selfie. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. This is a Leroy. <laughs> okay, I need to take more. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and so, oh, sorry, this side as well. Sorry, Tony. Tony's gonna, guys, Tony's gonna hear this message and he's gonna be so disappointed. (laughs) Okay, come. We're just taking selfies. (laughs) Okay, guys, that's enough. So, you know what? I was thinking about it today and I decided. I'm actually not going to pull a Tony today, and I'm not going to say if I were to title this message, I would call it this, (laughs) because Tony's not here, and I know he's going to hear this message, he's going to to listen to the recording, so I can only pull a Tony when Tony's here, but I'll I'll tell you about the message. So a message that's been on my heart is just about really intimacy with God, um, fellowship with God, and really a participation in that. I believe that God is calling us into a, into a deeper intimacy, and he's really calling us to participate in what he's doing. So I would actually had the privilege of sharing this message a couple of years ago in the, in the heart of lockdown at the Malneton congregation. Um, it was a really weird season for us as a church. You know, like, then we could gather, then we couldn't gather, then we had to wear masks and social distancing and all that kind of weird things. And so it was kind of... My responsibility to come and encourage the church to really participate, you know, and just continue gathering. And the funny thing is, I'd actually been hospitalized with COVID just a little while before that. And here I'm coming, guys, we need to gather. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry of COVID. Who cares about COVID? <laughs> so the way I actually came across this message was by spending time through the, the letter to the Ephesian church. And a letter that I really love. And... I'd seen something that I hadn't seen before that I would describe as the relationship cycle. You know, in the, the first half of the letter to the Ephesian church, the first three chapters, Paul speaks about all that God has done to bring us into fellowship with him, to redeem us. And he speaks about this miraculous work that God's done. And in the second part, he now speaks about God putting us into a body. And in this body, he gives us all these giftings. Um, you know, the 5 giftings to equip us, to build us up for ministry. And then there's the chapter five into chapter six, where I believe that God is now calling us to reflect the intimacy that we have with him to a world out there that doesn't know him, so that they might see something of him in us, and that one may plant, another may water, and God may bring the increase and save those people and then kind of bring that circle to completion. And so, in a way to introduce this message, I actually want to start off with, with a statement that we all kind of make, is that Christianity is not a religion, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Don't we all say that? Yeah, it's like part of our Christianese. It's in our Christianese dictionary somewhere. (laughs) But if I ask you to pull out the verse that says that, that exact phrase, you'll probably have a really hard time finding that exact verse. Now, is it that the Bible doesn't teach that? Like, no, the Bible actually does teach that, that we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we actually find this idea in a word more so than any other word. Is this Greek word koinonia, where we, we often get our English word for fellowship from are we going? We're on. Okay. No, I think the word is dead. Okay, cool. So, um, we find this, um, like I said, we find this idea in a word called koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, that we get our English word for fellowship from. And the Bible actually translates this word very differently, in, depending on the context, really, because we don't really have the English equivalent to really describe this word. So sometimes the Bible translates this word as, As sharing, sometimes it's contributing, sometimes it's participation or even partnership in. And so this word means all of those things. It actually speaks of something like a deep spiritual intimacy, a spiritual intimacy with God and His people and His people and His people. And there's this joint active participation in that, um, in this word. And so just to... um, yeah, you know this word, the, the word fellowship has almost become like a kind of like a watered-down version, I would say, of this word. Because fellowships almost come to mean like a social event. Like we come there and then that's fellowship. You know, I'm hanging out with Marvin and Pierre, and so that's kind of fellowship. Now that is a part of fellowship, but it's, it's not really it. It's, there's so much more to fellowship than that. And to kind of give you an idea of how this word is used in the in the Bible, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 can put it on the screen (laughs) so in this I'm not gonna um, I'm just gonna use because I kind of um, I'm not prepared to share the whole verse so uh, Paul speaks about the liberal sharing so they they're actually gathering some money for the saints in Jerusalem and so this word is sometimes used as liberal sharing or liberal contribution for the saints now the word fellowship or koinonia is used there for sharing now it doesn't mean hanging out there What's actually happening there is our brothers and our sisters are struggling financially. They're being persecuted. And because we love them and they are part of us, we want to give of what, what we have so that they don't lack. Doesn't that kind of sound familiar? You know, what's in, what's in your fridge is, is mine. You know, what's in, in my fridge is not mine. <laughs> what's in my fridge is yours. And then Philippians 1 verses 3 to 5 Paul speaks about um, partners in the gospel or a fellowship in the gospel. And here again, he doesn't mean they're hanging out in the gospel, but he's talking about a partnership in the gospel. They were partners with him in the gospel. And this could look like many different things. Sometimes this could look like, no, they were actually interceding for doors to be opened so God would minister. Sometimes it could look like, no, you're contributing with your finances. In that way, you are you're partnering in the gospel, even simply inviting someone to church or going out and sharing the gospel with Paul. And so this way you would have partnered in the gospel. And then there's Philippians 3, verses 10, where Paul speaks about um, the fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. And again, he's not talking about hanging out in the sufferings of Christ. He's like literally talking about martyrdom. But how does that look for us to, to fellowship in the sufferings or share in the sufferings of Christ? It means to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily, to die to ourselves each and every day. And then there's... The beauty of this word is really wrapped up in Acts 2.42. is where you see this devotion to one another. They're devoted to fellowship. And I was telling Peter before the service, it's almost this weird thing. They devoted to the teaching of the scripture, but then they devoted to prayer, but then it says they are devoted to one another. And you really see how this word is so beautifully brought together. Um, they, they're in each other's homes all the time. They gave what they had, so nobody had lack. And you really see the beauty of this word. And again, it speaks about... A deep spiritual intimacy with God and His people, and His people, and His people. And there's this joint, active participation in that. And that's really like the aspect that I want to kind of look at through the relationship cycle that I, um, that I was speaking of. And so I'm um, going to start with the first part of it, which is the relationship with God. So I actually had two people that I've asked to come read, uh, you guys um, Raisa and, um, and Hannah. From Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 I wanted to read in chapter 3 But just to save some time I'm just going to go to chapter 1 and 2 So you can come Come read <laughs> come, come participate
2: <laughs> So you want me to start from 3? Just,
1: um, just from verses 3 to 11
2: Okay So this is from Ephesians um, 1 verse, uh, verse 3 uh, Blessed is the God and Father our, of our Lord Jesus Christ Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in christ for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him he predestined us to be adopted as sons through jesus christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined, predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his world. <coughs> <Amen.
3: coughs> My bowels are falling apart, so I have to hold it here. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 9. And it says, As for you, you were, dead, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air,
1: I was thinking of summarizing what they were reading, but I'm like, no. They, Paul's really said it all. He's God has performed a mighty work. He's performed a miracle to redeem sinners and to bring us into intimacy with Him. And in in chapter three, verse nine, He speaks about this this fellowship of the mystery. And now, now what is that? This this mystery is that us Gentiles, we also get included in God's plan um, of salvation. And so God does this amazing work, a miraculous work. But now that God has has brought us into fellowship, into intimacy with Him, He's now calling us to actively participate in this. And the thing about this is, as much as you're going to give, that's as much as you're going to get. If you really want to grow into the things of the Lord, then it's going to cost you to really pursue after God. Because He says, if you seek me with all your heart, then you'll find me. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. And in me, you will bear much fruit. God is calling us into a deeper intimacy. And the thing is, he's calling us to participate in that. Now, whenever I think about intimacy, there's one person that I think about, and that's King David. I really just love the intimacy David had with God. The way David would express himself, the way he could be honest with God. In fact, God called him a man after my own heart. This isn't a title that that men gave him but the title God himself gave David and I love that and I've often tried to to model my quiet time my prayer life after the way David would express himself to God and I also just love like the way David expresses his intimacy with God like David would say things like oh my soul longs for you O Lord in a dry and barren land in a land where there's no water my soul thirsts for you You hear what he's saying? He's saying that in a desert place, in a place where there is no water, if I don't get water, I'll die, but my soul thirsts for you. I'm like, I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of intimacy. I want to be able to say that. In fact, I was having a conversation recently with someone, and I was telling them um, about these Psalms, and I was just telling them, you know, I want to be able to say this, not just with mere words, but it would be the echo of my heart that everything in me would mean it when I say, my soul is hungry for you, Lord. And in this person, they they kind of like shut this idea down. He's like saying, no, but times has changed. I'm like, we live in a different era to David. Like there's too many distractions. And so we kind of can't have that. That's what he was implying. So now I'm trying to reason with this. I'm like, Nonsense. That's nonsense. The scriptures declare that no temptation is common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. The same way David was tempted, we are tempted. It's just a different form, just a different face. You can't tell me that God's the same yesterday, today and forevermore and He never changes, but I can't have that. How can I not have that? He sent His Son to die for me at the cross of Calvary to redeem us, to bring us even into a better covenant. So how can I not have that? In fact, his son says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And like the whole New Testament speaks about this. They encourage us to desire spiritual things, to hunger after God's word. Now, he's right when he says there's distractions. But David also had distractions. David had lots of distractions. And for David to have intimacy with God, then he had to make sacrifice. Now, when I talk about sacrifice, I'm not talking about some obligatory sacrifice where you kind of tick off a box and there you go. I'm talking about a sacrifice where you offer your life up in love, in sacrifice to him, that you daily deny yourself, that you pursue his will with everything that you have, that you may know him. Now, there's another man that had amazing intimacy with, with God, and that's the Apostle Paul. And Philippians 3 verses 7 to 11, I love what he says. Like, I'm going to kind of just paraphrase what he's saying. And he's like, you know, I've attained many things in my life, but all these things that I've attained, I count them as rubbish. I count them as dung, that I may know him, that I may be even conformed to his death, that I may even experience his resurrection and even fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. That by any means that I may attain the resurrection of life, then nothing in my life matters as much as knowing him. Now you have to understand that Paul had attained a lot in his life. This is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This is an elect Jew. I mean, no one had zeal like Paul. Paul had trained with Gamaliel. And he says, all those things mean nothing. Nothing in my life means as much as knowing him. And when Paul talks about knowing him, he's actually talking about the highest level of intimacy. That word would have been to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now what Paul is saying there is, I want the deepest level of intimacy and it doesn't matter what it costs me. Even if it costs me my life, then it's fine, I'll pay that price that I may know Him, that I may know Him more and more and more. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying. That I may know Him. What price are you willing to pay that you may know Him? What price are you willing to pay? What are you willing to give up that you may know Him more and more? Now this is for me as well. I'm not preaching to you as someone that's got this all figured out. What price are you willing to pay, Leroy, that you may know Him? That you may know Him more and more and more? You see, for us to get to intimacy with God, to deeper intimacy, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost you your sleep. It's going to cost you to get up early in the morning so you can have quiet time with the Lord. It's going to cost you to pursue His heart in prayer. It's going to cost you to dive deep into His Word, that you may understand the riches in His Word. What price are you willing to pay that you may know Him. That you may know Him more and more and more. Now not to be outdone by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle John, you know, he outran Peter. Now, he didn't really, he's not responding to him. But First John chapter 3. <laughs> 1 John chapter 3 verses 1. Then John says, Behold the manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called the sons of God. Now, Now, now John's not just saying... Behold this love. He's like, no, look at this love. This is amazing. The love that the Father's lavished upon us. That we wicked, evil men and women can be called the children of God. This is amazing. Stand in awe of this love. This is what He means. Behold it. Set your eyes on that love. Never forget. Never forget that love. You know, There's one bit of advice I can give all of us. That would spur us on into greater intimacy with God. Is to remember the cross. To never lose the awe and the wonder of the cross of Calvary, that He's taken you out of the mighty clay, that He set your feet upon the rock, that He's delivered you, that He's separated your sins as far as the East is from the West. The wonder Paul raves on for three chapters in Ephesians, all about what God's done for us. Now he's writing to a church, they must have been like, but Paul, we know this, we believe this, but Paul's like, yes, lest you forget. Let me remind you, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And I've made you alive. I've elected you. You are far off. You are aliens. I predestined you. I've blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Don't forget it. Let that be the thing that spurs you on into greater intimacy with God. Let that be the thing that encourages you to draw closer and closer to Him. Don't forget it. Come on. Come on, man. Sure. Come on. <laughs> the, thing is, the thing is this we, we never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is as much for unbelievers as it's for believers. We can't graduate past it. This should be the thing that draws us and drives us to persevere. That we say we press on because of what is done for us. In fact, this has always been the message. You know, I love what Jesus does, he breaks the bread. He's having the last supper with his disciples. And he, and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And this is, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood that's poured out for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now we call this communion. This is exactly the same word for koinonia. This is the same word as, as Jesus is saying. Remember the price that it cost to buy you. Remember what your sin costs. This has always been the message from the beginning. I'm the Lord, your God, that's delivered you out of Egypt. I split the sea for you. I went before you by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I sent my son for you to die the cross of Calvary for you. I've done this. Now you respond. Now, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beseech you by the mercies of God, that you would offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your reasonable service. Based on all he's done. This is how you respond. You offer your life in sacrifice to Him. Hallelujah. Sure. Come on. Sure, moving on to the second part of, of this relationship cycle. It's now the relationship with the body. Marco, you want to come um, read Ephesians chapter 4 verses um, on 12? and participate Come.
0: (laughs) there is one word in one spirit just as you are called in one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in all but to each one one of us grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift Um, therefore he says when he ascended in high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men Now this ascended, what does it mean? But that he who first descended into the lower part of the earth, he he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fall fall in all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ.
1: Amen, Amen. Amen. Yeah. So not only has God not done a miracle to bring us into fellowship with Him, but God has another miracle to bring us into fellowship with His body. And so as Marco is reading, uh, Paul's saying here that he's given all these gifts, He's put us into a body, and now he gives us these fivefold gifts, the apostles, the, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers and the pastors, for the building up of the church, to edify us for, for, for ministry, right? But now he's not only given gifts to them, but when he's ascended up on high, he's given each and everyone gifts. Each and everyone is given a gift by the measure of Christ's gift, by his grace. And so nobody can sit here today that's a believer that says, no, I've got nothing. He's given each of us something. You might not know exactly what you have now, but I promise you, he's given you something. When he's ascended up on high, he's given gifts to all men. Now, I like this analogy that Paul makes about the body this analogy actually teaches us three things. And the first one is this. That if there's a body, then there's no me and Jesus alone. We can kind of take that bad theology and we can throw it in the bin. We can kick it out of the window. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says that by one spirit, we've all been baptized into the body. Each and every one. All of us baptized into the body. And so there's no me and Jesus alone. There is no place for an isolated Christian. In fact, Jesus promised us that. He promised us that he would not leave us as orphans, but he would give us another helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that's the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, but it's the Holy Spirit's work to baptize us into the body. He baptizes us into the body. He takes the lonely and he puts them into family. He said that it's not good for man to be alone. Now I know this is for Adam, but if it's relevant for Adam, it's relevant for us. We are not good alone. We need each other. I need you, and you need me. You know, I always think about this, the coals and the fire, and if you take one coal out of the bunch, in no time that coal will die, you'll burn up and you'll die. But if you keep them together, they burn for a long time, and they accomplish their goal, sometimes they'll burn until the next morning. Now, I want to make a statement, which is not a stretch for me to say. If you isolate yourself from the body, then you're actually working against the Holy Spirit. Then that's a rebellion against the Holy Spirit. If you isolate yourself out of the operation of the body, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12.13. He's baptized each and every one of us into the body. And so when you isolate yourself, you're working against Him. Now, the second thing that we can learn from the body is that if there's a body, there's many parts. And each and every part is vital. Each and every part is important. The hand cannot say to the foot that I don't need you. True. And the ear can't say to the mouth, I don't need you. If you take the hand away, my body still operates. But now I've got a disability. I don't operate in the fullness of what God has designed me to. Yeah. So even if I take the smallest part away, I take the small toe away from my foot, I might still be able to walk. But I've got an imbalance. I've got a disability. I don't operate in the fullness of what God has for me. And it's it's like that for us. If we each don't play our part, then we can't come into the fullness of what God has for us as a church. We need each and every one. It's not about the people preaching. It's not about the worship leaders. Yes, they are important, but so are you. There's no random citizens. We need each and every one to play their part. Now make this example with you. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months maybe ago, when Marvin was preaching, I was leading service. And I really had it on my heart to encourage the church to participate. And so I had this word and I thought, you know what, I'm going to share this word and we'll turn the first part of the service into a prayer meeting. So um, Tony and Pierre, they were on this, and and the wives, they were on this, um, elders weekend away. And so, so they wouldn't hear. And I know Tony's heart was to pray more this year. So I tried to encourage the church to do that. You know, and I the, I'm going to turn the first part into a prayer meeting. I'm going to say something, and you know God's going to minister. There's like that kind of I, I pictured it. But it didn't kind of pan out that way. You know, so we just had a couple of guys that, that just started praying, and then it started to become like the mic was just going between three of us the whole time. And then I was about to move on into worship, and Marvin wrestled the mic out of me. No! Give me the mic! It's, like, it's Marvin! <laughs> And Marvin's like, Lord, I know they're not bold right now. But would you give them boldness? And two people stepped out. Two people that's not leaders. um, People that's not coming up in the front or preaching messages. They're not people that normally come to the front. It's Brenda and Ingrid. Ingrid was a community leader, by the way. So... Two people that stepped out and they came and shared a word that God had given them. And out of that, the Lord ministers in a powerful way. We have an altar call. People are crying. People are in tears. The Lord edifies and builds His church. And people ministering to one another. Because two people had stepped out with what God had given them. We need each and every one. And now just recently, we had Gladys that shared a testimony. And out of her testimony, two other people responded. And they're like, we can't live like that as well. Come on. Because people... In the church, they participated with what God had given them. We need each and every one to play their part. Then the third thing that we can learn from this analogy of the body is if there's a body, then there's a head. And the news is this. It's not the apostles, it's not the elders, it's not the community leaders, it's none of them, it's Jesus. He's the one that's glorified, he's the preeminent one, he's the one that's high and lifted up. Only he gets exalted. There's no place for megastar, superstar preachers and when they come here and then the anointing's here. No, because Jesus is here, the anointing's here. We don't bowl that way, we can't bowl that way. For us to have unity, we can't have superstars here. You know, I always think about this, this post that Nadine, Mac's wife, had made about her, a friendship with Nadine Badenoz. And Nadine had said to her years prior, I think maybe when she was joining the church, and she said to her, that if you think of yourself as something, then get over yourself quickly, because we don't bowl that way. And that always stuck with me. And I want to tell each and every one of us, me included, if you think of yourself as something, get over yourself quickly, because we don't bowl that way. If you think of yourself as better than anyone here, Get over yourself quickly, because we can't build that way. For unity in God's body, we can't build that way. Each and every one is important, but we are equally saints. Now, yes, we have to respect and honor our leaders, because God had appointed them. But they are equally saints. There's no special parking for Pierre. Sorry, Pierre. There's no special parking. There's no special seating. If this place is full, you know who's the first people that's going to sit on the floor? The leaders. Because that's how we build. That's how God intended us to build. Now the thing is, this is something that's so valuable to Jesus. Unity and fellowship in his body. In fact, this is one of the last things Jesus prays for before he's crucified. That we would be one as he and the Father is one. This is something so high on his valueless. You could almost call that a dying wish if you wanted to. That we would be one as him and the Father is one. In fact, his heart is expressed throughout the New Testament. That over 60 times this phrase appears, one another love one another, be merciful to one another, serve one another, build one another up, forgive one another, over and over again. This is His heart expressed for us. If this is something important to Him, it should be something important to us. Now fellowship with God's people, that's also gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you. If you're an introvert, it's gonna cost you to open up the doors that people can get involved in your life. If you're an introvert, it's gonna cost you to get involved in someone's life. Sometimes people are going to offend you. Sometimes it's going to cost you your time that you would spend and get involved in people's lives. What price are you willing to pay that you may have a deeper intimacy with God's people? It's important to Jesus. It should be important to you. Now, moving on to the last part of the relationship cycle or the relationship circle, is God is now calling us to reflect the intimacy that we have with Him to a world out there that doesn't know Him. Now, I get this from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 on into chapter um, 6. I was going to say, guys, you can pull it up,
0: but I'm going to paraphrase
1: it. (laughs) So, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying His life down for. So husbands are to love their wives. And then children, they are to obey their parents in the Lord because this pleases God. And then He says to the husbands, um, that they are to reflect Jesus in a certain way to the children, in the way they raise their children. But this is really for the parents. This is not just for husbands, it's both husband and wife. And then he writes to the masters and the slaves, and they are to reflect Jesus to each other in a certain way. And that you could look at as the employees and the employers, or the students and the lecturers, that they are to reflect Jesus in a certain way. Now you could tell me, but Leroy, Paul might be writing believers to believers. That's a, maybe you've got a point there. But how many of us have husbands and wives and parents and children that don't know Jesus? How many of us have people that we work with that don't know Jesus? So this can't just be for believers amongst believers. It can't be. And so we call to share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. I mean, it's the power of God into salvation I've got the t-shirt on. <laughs> but what if we share the gospel but we continue to live like devils? And we don't reflect Jesus in a way that honors him, that they, that they see the power of that message inside of our lives. And then we almost take this message and we, we make it have no power. Now I love how Paul actually starts this chapter, Ephesians 5 verses 1, before he gets into this. He says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Now I love this analogy of the child. Because a child is the ultimate imitator. They're the ultimate participator. They're not happy just spectating, just watching something on TV. They want to actively live that out. See so if Zinedine's watching Dragon Ball Z, guess who Zinedine is? He's Goku. Yes. And he's Goku. He's charging up in everything. And if he's watching Super Strikers, who is he? He shakes. He's going to do all the tricks. And if he's watching Bible Man, you best believe he's Bible Man. He wants the coat and everything. And he's going to act that out. And it's so real to him. And this is what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be imitators as dearly loved children. That we would reflect the intimacy that we have with Jesus to a world out there that doesn't know Him. So that they might see something of the life of Christ inside of us. That one may plant, another may water, and that He may bring the increase. You know, we always talk about the early church. You know, how the Lord added to the number daily. He added to the number daily. Now you have to but ask yourself, where did those people come from? Where did they come from? Now I know the Holy Spirit could have drawn people. Some people could have just heard the gospel and they came and they got saved. But how many of those people were someone's husband? Someone's wife? Someone's children? Someone's work colleagues? Because they had seen something of Jesus Christ in that person. That they also came, let me also hear that message. And then they got saved. They heard the gospel and Jesus saved them. Now I've seen this play out in my life, how God has used this, particularly with my wife, my beautiful wife. (laughs) Come stand with me, come. Come stand with me, come. Come stand with me. Come on, come on. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want you to stand with me. Why do no, I have to stand? <laughs> because you're beautiful. You know, I don't like doing this. So <laughs> so, so for, you, for, for those that don't know, my wife comes from a Muslim background. And so I always find it that, that the Lord was so strategic in the way he saved me. That she would actually meet me before I got saved. That she got to see the mad, crazy me. Uh, the guy that she always says, Burst clopper, she's in the house. <laughs> that, that guy, she got, she got to see that. And so then the Lord saved me. We had a child, we were engaged, all of that, and the Lord saved me. And something now, all of a sudden, it happened. That I was no longer the person that I once was. And we got married. And, and for me, when we got married, one of the verses that I stood in was this Ephesians um, verse. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church laying your life down for her. this was something I stood on This was something I took so seriously that I would represent Jesus to her in a real way in a way That's gonna honor him now You have to understand my wife comes from a Muslim background where people pray five times a day They go to church five times a day your people struggle to come to church once a week They pray five times a day they they, they fast 30 days in a month How many days have you fasted this year? Yeah, I'm like, but not the point. She's come out of a background where she's seen that. But then yet some of them behind closed doors, they live like devils. That they live like devils. That the faith that they profess out there isn't the faith that they are living out. So for me, it was so important that I would represent Jesus to her in a real way. That I don't just share the gospel, but that I'm living the gospel out. And sometimes it was really hard. But by His grace, I keep pressing on that I might represent Jesus to her in a real way. But I also needed people to partner in the gospel with me, to coin a near in the gospel. My church, I needed people that would love on her, that would lavish the love of Christ on her, that even in a worse season, in a season where we just lost the child, that she would see something of Jesus in you. Then one planted, another ordered, but Jesus brought the increase. Come on. On. So now my my once Muslim wife can boldly profess Jesus as a Lord and Savior. Come on. Come on. Now reflecting Jesus to a world out there, that's also going to cost you. It's going to cost you sometimes to examine yourself. Sometimes it's going to cost you tears. You're going to cry before the Lord. There was a time in my walk where people said, I don't know what he's going to church for. He's still the same. He hasn't changed. That I would cry before the Lord. Lord, what am I doing wrong? That I would pursue him. That's going to cost you something. What is the price that you are willing to pay that you may reflect Jesus well to the world? What are you willing to give up that you may have that? Now I want to come to landing. The Lord was really challenging me as I was preparing for this message. But was sharing about your treasure. And that God challenged me on it because, you know, I don't want to come and share a message about intimacy and challenging people. And then, then I don't live this out. Then I don't practically live this out. So God is challenging me with what price are you willing to pay that you may have a deeper intimacy with God? And it's going to look different for you than it looks for me. For me it looked like giving up my Facebook for a while. Giving up TikTok. Giving up Twitter. Giving up playing online games for a couple of weeks. I had to give it up. Because I didn't want to preach something that I'm not actively living out. I don't want to be a hypocrite and come here and tell you about leaving things and paying a price and I'm not doing that. Because this is something real. God wants us to draw closer to Him in intimacy. And He is challenging us. What is the price That you are willing to pay to have that. So I don't know where Pierre wants to go with this. But I want you to think about that. What price are you willing to pay to have a deeper intimacy with God? Amen? Amen.